0: You you don't miss something until it's gone, do you? Um, uh, And often we don't realise just how important something was to us until it's taken away. Um, Now, when I saw which psalm I was going to be preaching uh, and the very first line of it, I thought, how amazing would it be uh, if this was the first Sunday that we could all come together and sing um, inside, wouldn't that just be amazing, but just one day too short. Um, but we can sing together outside, which is amazing. How much, though, have we, have we missed singing together? Lots, I think. Uh, when we sang together outside here for the first time, I, I know that it was a really emotional experience for many. Um, and even for those of us who perhaps aren't as moved by singing, I think that since it being taken away from us to a large extent, we we've got a new appreciation for just how important singing, shouting, making a joyful noise in our worship to God is. But making a joyful noise isn't the only way that we're called to worship God. Um, And that's what this psalm is really all about, calling us to come and worship God with our whole being, uh, with the full range of emotions, top to bottom, outside and in, This is a psalm that calls us to total worship. We get three broad ways of worshipping God in this psalm. And each form of worship tells us or reminds us something new about God, um, about who he is and how that fuels our worship. So uh, in the first five verses of the psalm, we're firstly called to joyfully worship God, our Creator King. Uh, We're called to joyfully worship God, our Creator King. There you go. Um, God is a big God, uh, a great big God, as we've just sang. And it's fitting, therefore, that we worship him in a big way, singing for joy, shouting aloud, um, extolling, Uh, That means to praise enthusiastically. Um, I had to look it up as well, don't worry. Um, Extolling with music and song. It's a picture of, of liveliness, of activity and sounds, of hands in the air, of space being filled with life and sound. It's a picture that, and I think this speaks volumes about our joyfulness here at Avenue, that we've seen time and time again when we come together on a Sunday morning. Do you remember um, walking into the school hall uh, pre COVID times and just being met with a a wall of noise? Um, Now, granted, not all of that noise was necessarily worshipping God, but a lot of it was Uh, music, singing, laughing, just the joy of being together um, and making a joyful noise together. And you come perhaps not feeling that joyful. and maybe this wouldn't always happen, but sometimes hearing that that joyful noise would stir your heart um, and draw you to join in. And then all of a sudden, you'd perhaps feel more joyful yourself. But this call to joyfully worship isn't simply uh, working ourselves up into a noisy frenzy for the sake of it. There's a reason behind our big gestures. Um, And as I mentioned, it's because we have a big God. Uh, Look at verses three to five with me. The Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. The God we worship is the Lord, the King, Um, and not just a Lord or a King, but the King, King over all. Uh, And not just because he's the most powerful, but because it's all his. He made everything, the depths of the earth, the seas, the land, all of it was made by him. Our God is the Creator King. Um, A great big God should have great big worship. So joyfully worship God, our creator king. Uh, Second, we're called to reverently worship God, our maker and shepherd. Uh, We're called to reverently worship God, our maker and shepherd. So verse 6 begins with another command to come and worship God, only this time the call to worship brings us low rather than takes us high. Uh, Top to bottom, this is total worship. Our God isn't only the creator and the king, he isn't simply a mighty God out there somewhere, far too big and important to want anything to do with us. Um, No, he's also a relational God, God is personal, um, and he has a personal relationship with us, um, as a people, but also with each one of us individually, as his sons and his daughters. He is, as verse 6 says, our maker. God made us. Now, I made some shelves the other day, um, and some good husband points. I was pretty proud of them. Um, but I can't say I care about them that much. But God being our maker, it means so much more than me putting together some shelves. Elsewhere in the Bible, um, it says that God knitters together in the womb. Uh, and that is a picture of incredible attention to detail um, and care about us before we were even born. Uh, And numerous times the Bible speaks of God and God speaks of himself as being our father. Uh, And that's again a picture of loving relationship. Uh, And that picture continues in that of a shepherd. As verse 7 says, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And like a, like a good shepherd looking after his flock, his sheep, um, our God provides for us from his pasture. He protects us from attack and he leads us on to wherever we might need to be. That this mighty God, this creator king would stoop so low as to take an interest, a, a deep and loving interest in you and me should make us feel reverence and that's that sense of awe and wonder that just inspires humility in us that feeling of just being humbled Um, we should be honored beyond words Um, and when words aren't possible or don't seem appropriate we can also worship God by lowering ourselves physically or metaphorically before God bowing, kneeling, reminding ourselves of how great God is, how small we are, but yet how much he loves us despite his greatness and despite our smallness. Reverently worship God, our maker and shepherd. Uh, And thirdly, we should... Is that woken everyone up? The third call to worship God is that we listen to God, our saviour. So uh, this last section, this last section of the psalm comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Uh, Like a booming Adam Blair-like voice. Um, we're we're happy, we're worshipping, we're singing, we're being reverent, everything is nice and good, and today, if you hear his voice, and wow, do not harden your hearts. There's trying and testing God, God's being angry, people are going astray, there's more anger from God, and people are doomed never to enter God's rest, and then, that's it, that's the end of the psalm. What on earth is just happened Uh, well what's just happened is that God has just spoken and he's spoken a warning to us that we need to listen to and act on right now Uh, and the warning is this do not harden your hearts do not harden your hearts what does that mean We have a word for it, don't we, hard-hearted, and we usually mean it to be someone who is really unkind, um, unfeeling, cold. Now, while we we don't want to be those things, for sure, that's not quite what this hardening of heart is all about. To illustrate what he means, God takes us back to the Israelite people thousands of years ago, um, at the time when they were slaves in Egypt, and God, through his servant Moses, saved them and brought them out of slavery in Egypt, leading them through the deserts between Egypt and the promised land, their home. But as you would expect in a desert, uh, things were tough. Uh, Water was hard to come by, and the people moaned and complained that there was no water, that they had everything they needed back in Egypt, uh, that they should never have come out into the wilderness, that it was all a mistake Moses was a terrible leader, and perhaps this God wasn't so great after all. Perhaps they'd put their hope in the, in the wrong place, in the wrong God. Uh, Meribah and Massah, meaning dispute, testing, um, are two places where this moaning and complaining reached ahead, uh, where the people, the Israelite people, really put God to the test. Though, and this is the important bit, though they had seen what God did. As God says in verse 9, they behaved in this way, though they had seen what I did. And what had they seen? Well, only some of the most famous miracles recorded in the entire history of the world. Hailstorms, rivers of blood, plagues of frogs, flies, locusts. Uh, The death of all the firstborn Egyptians, um, the parting of the Red Sea, which parted for the Israelites but fell back on the Egyptians, and not to mention the pillar of smoke and fire that went before them day and night, leading them and keeping them safe through the wilderness. Amazing miracles done for them that they might be freed from slavery. And now they were in the wilderness, things were a bit hard. Um, And how quickly they had forgotten all of that, all of the wonders that they'd seen, um, forgot where they were going, forgot who brought them out of slavery and who had promised to take them home. What is hardening your heart? Well, according to this, it's a willful forgetting of God's character and goodness towards us. It's a growing unbelief that God is good and will do all that he's promised. Hardening of heart is unbelief caused by forgetting. The question then is, why is unbelief such a bad thing? I mean, I'm sure that we can say that it's probably not a good thing, but why so bad? Why does God cut in halfway through this psalm to warn his people right now, Don't let your hearts be hardened like these people. Uh, Why the immediacy? Why the urgency? Well, for the Israelites back then, uh, the consequence of their unbelief was huge. In verse 11, God says, So I declared in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. In other words, these people, they'll never get to the land that I promised them they'll never get home. And if you read through the rest of the story of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness for another 40 years, so long that only their children made it into the promised land, not even Moses made it, you see that God wasn't merely speaking empty threats here. Uh, later in time, um, and much later in the Bible, the writer of a book called Hebrews picks up this idea of the danger of unbelief, stopping us from entering God's rest. But instead of um, a physical promised land, the writer of the Hebrews has in mind something much bigger, namely eternal life. You see, uh, God saving the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness, um, and finally into the promised land of Israel, is a picture. Um, Of a much greater salvation and journey home. Our salvation, our salvation from sin, uh, from a life of slavery to sin. um, And God bringing us through the wilderness, through the here and now, to take us into eternal life with Him, uh, the real and true promised land. Do you see yet why um, this warning is so urgent? See, the Israelites had already made it to their physical promised land by the time that this psalm was written. So the warning came to them, and it comes to us to warn us about a much bigger consequence of hardening our hearts namely, that we risk never entering God's rest. That hardening our hearts so much could mean that we miss out on God's salvation this is why the call is to stop today because this has eternal consequences this is why we need thirdly to listen to God our saviour now I want to say very clearly that the bible teaches that once God saves someone that salvation that person can never be lost Uh, no matter how far they seem to have fallen no one can lose their salvation god has promised that but but don't risk it your heart your soul is too important to let slide be sure make sure that you're going in the right direction don't come this far with the promised land ahead to turn back into the wilderness back towards egypt back towards slavery for those who are listening who who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus don't waste your soul by coming this far to turn back now listen to God who can be your savior uh, and for those here who have put their trust in Jesus don't waste the time that you've been given by slipping back press on keep running today Listen to God, your saviour. So what do we do then? Um, How do we fight against unbelief in our hearts? How do we keep soft hearts that believe in God, in his goodness and his promises? Well, if the main problem with the Israelites was about forgetting all that God had done for them, And surely the answer is that we need to remember. Uh, We need to remember what God has done for us, that our hearts might be filled with thankfulness. Uh, I'm I'm terrible at remembering to the point where my wife will remind me of my own family's birthdays. Uh, It's not good. But it's more than that. Um, I'm really bad, actually, at remembering good things and good times. Um, I can have a bit of a bad day um, or there can be some problem that's been around for a while and all of a sudden, all of the good things that have happened recently or that are happening now or that I've got to look forward to, um, all of that's forgotten because of this bad day or this problem. I wonder if you can relate If you can, perhaps we shouldn't be quite so hard on those Israelites who grumbled, because in reality, if you're anything like me, uh, we grumble a lot too. Life isn't easy, even for Christians. And particularly when things get hard, when we have those uh, in the desert without water moments, we can so easily forget God's character, his goodness, all that he's done for us. And the more we forget, the easier it is to start doubting that God will really come through, uh, that he's really interested in me, that he's really for me, that he's really capable of helping me, and eventually, that he's actually there at all. Don't let yourself end up there, is the cry this psalm leaves us with. So what should we remember? I'm sure that there are so many things that you could point to in your own lives that will lead you to feel thankful. Uh, Think about those things, yes. But above all, let's remember this. That because of Jesus' love for you, if you put your trust in him, you've already entered God's rest. For those who have put their faith in Jesus, Uh, The dreadful fear that that final verse holds, the oath that God said that those who angered him will never enter his rest, that fear has gone. Don't get me wrong, we are those people. Um, We are the grumblers. We are the ones who tried and tested God. We are the ones who angered him. But because of Jesus, God has said a different oath over us. To those who believe in him, he said, they shall rest with me forever. You and I deserve to be the ones barred from entering God's rest, but he loved us so much that he has promised that we would rest with him forever. And remembering that can't help but fill your heart with thankfulness, which will lead us to shout and sing joyfully, um, but also bow low in reverence and be ready to listen um, and be reminded again, because oh boy, how easily do we forget just how much God loves us and just how much he's done for us. Uh, Life can be quite a wilderness sometimes. Remember God's goodness and fill your hearts with thankfulness, amen.